0: Good morning, everyone. The weather's getting cooler, so we're getting ready for a good season here. No more sweating, and I guess we still have a few hot days left, eh? But uh, we're going to make it. I think we're all going to make it. Today we're going to talk about a way to make it. Uh, We've been studying the book of Hebrews, and today we're in Hebrews chapter 3. And chapter 3 talks about unbelief. And I want to clear up something today. Unbelief is not an either-or thing. You either have faith or you have unbelief. The reality of the spiritual walk is is that you can have faith and unbelief at the same time. Well, how is that? You can believe God's word is true. You can believe that God is good, that God's going to provide, everything like that. But then there's a little unbelief bug Whispering in your ear, how can that be? And what if? And I know it says this, but, or it always works for them, but not for me. And and uh, that is something that can rob us of peace. That is something can, that can rob us of strength. It can rob us of rest. And we're going to be getting into that, too. Hebrews chapter 3 hints at the rest, at the rest you can enter into. Uh, next week in chapter 4, it goes more into the rest that we enter into, but let's talk about that. There is a rest for the people of God, and right now, we're living in a time that's very anxious, very crazy, and it's hardly restful. There's not much peace in people out there. there people are on the edge, and I've been on the edge. And I shouldn't be on the edge. I know better because of the word. But why are, am I on the edge sometimes? Why might you be on the edge sometimes? Because of unbelief. doesn't mean you're not saved. doesn't mean you don't have faith. You do. But you can allow unbelief to be challenging everything you think. And you're starting to look at the natural and seeing I don't, I don't see it. And it robs us of our rest, our strength, our peace. And there's a rest in God. There's a rest from works. Christ, he, he did the work for us, and there's a rest from fear, and I believe fear is going to be the number one issue facing most people in the days ahead, uh, not because Halloween's coming and that kind of fear, but just fear of where the state of things are going, how we're going to make it, how, how can things work out in this situation, and just fears, maybe fears that God's not going to come through. And sometimes we're tempted to that. That's where unbelief comes in. And if we give in to that temptation, that's where we lose the peace, where we lose the rest. And so we're going to learn today a little bit about how to guard against that and see what unbelief produced in times past, how we can avoid that. So we're going to start, though, with uh, chapter 3, verse 1, which says, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle And high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. And again, when you see a therefore, you have to say, what's it there for? It's referring to what came previously. So your chapters in the Bible are man-made chapters. They weren't part of holy scripture, but they were divided up. And sometimes the divisions come and they divide up right where they shouldn't because they're in the middle of a thought process that the author was going through. Therefore. What happened last week? As a recap of last week, we were finding out that Jesus gave us so great a salvation, and how we uh, need to consider that, give attention to that, understand what He did to affect that salvation, how He destroyed the power of death, so that we wouldn't fear death. Right? There's again, there's where fear could come in, but Jesus took care of that. Jesus. And it's going back to the previous chapter. Jesus is greater than the prophets, greater than the angels. He satisfied God's justice on the cross. He destroyed the power of death. Wonderful stuff, wonderful news. But remember, we're talking to the Hebrews who are going through some difficult times. They're being challenged and tempted to turn back to the old way, to the old traditions, and to the old things, and to be back in the bondage of the law. And things like that and it would have been easier for them to go with the flow but he's saying consider therefore what I've told you already how Jesus is greater and how there's no fear of death now how he accomplished that therefore therefore holy brethren and there's something right there holy brethren did you know that the cross of Christ and your faith in the finished work of Jesus makes you holy you don't have to strive to be holy. You are holy by faith in Christ Jesus. It says in Ephesians 4 24, to put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness, the new person, the new spiritual creature in you. This isn't a part of the gospel, and we looked at that in the previous chapters. You are partakers of the heavenly calling. You are one. He who sanctifies, and they who are being sanctified are one. We are actually one with God in the Spirit, and that makes us holy. It's by faith. It's not by what you've done. It's not by what you've failed to do. You are instructed to be holy, but it's not to become holy. It's because you are holy. Can you believe it? Can you believe what Jesus has accomplished for us? You start thinking of yourself that way, you'll start behaving differently. It's not, i got to become holy. It's, I am holy? Okay, well, I'm going to put on, put on that new man. So, therefore, holy brethren, remember who you are and that you're a partaker of the heavenly calling, that you're not just appeasing God the way some of the people in Asia we used to see used to put fruit and vegetables and candles before porcelain idols on a shelf and they'd start bowing before it and and uh, businessmen would go to the Buddhist temples and they'd have to do their bowing and praying before these idols all because they want to make sure that they were going to be okay, they were going to be safe, they were going to be a success and Buddha could give them success if they did all the right things. They they had to appease these idols and gods. And not so with the Christian. The Christian becomes one with the Lord and partaker, not only of the divine nature but of the heavenly... He's called us to a high place. He's called us to love. He's called us to the kingdom of his son. And we don't have to appease him But we want to please him. And we're going to learn that pleasing him is all about the heart. And it's all about faith. It's not your perfect demeanor. It's not your pleasant personality. It's not your diligent works. But it's your heart and your love for God. But Jesus has done the appeasing. He was the apostle, the sent one, and the high priest of our confession. And let's go to Hebrews 3, 2-4. Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful in all his house, for this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. All right, so here is some extraordinary statements to audience that the author was writing to, because he's already told the Jewish Christians that Jesus is greater than your past prophets, Jesus is greater than the angels. Now he goes so bold and far to say that Jesus is greater than Moses. Moses was the most respected person in Jewish history and tradition. Everything hinged on Moses. Everything hinged on the law. And now, Moses was faithful, but he's saying, we're looking to someone else who was faithful, and he's greater than Moses, his house. Moses built a house, or he was part of the house that God built, but Jesus was the one behind it all. Jesus is greater. There's even an allusion, again, to the divinity of Christ. We saw that all the angels are to worship Jesus. There's divinity in Christ. In the Old Testament, God said there is no other Savior. I am I'm the one, and I will not share my glory with another. And yet Jesus freely receives worship. It's commanded the angels to worship him, and now he's alluded to as the builder of the house. And this was just, this could have pushed the Hebrew Christians off the edge because Moses was everything, everything hinged on the law, and what they were being persuaded to be was counterculture. Counterculture. It was counterculture for the Jewish mind to turn away from Moses and to say, okay, we're going to put our faith in this guy who went to the cross, died, and rose again, and we're no longer held in bondage to things we used to be into, the, the law and things like that. Because Jesus fulfilled the law on their behalf. And this didn't go well. This is one of the reasons Jesus was crucified, because he was the tradition buster. The Pharisees didn't like the, this was all about Moses, not what he was coming to bring in. But what he brought in was greater than the house. He was the builder of the house, and we're called to be counterculture as well. And it's not easy for us to be counterculture. It wasn't easy for these Jewish Christians, but even today— we have to be counterculture. We have to put on the mindset that we are one with the Lord, and we have to know who we belong to and what he's done. And I'm going to just say counter, we have to be counterculture. I'm not talking about the culture war. And there's a lot of culture war out there. You can scroll through social media and just wait. It'll, it'll only take a fraction of a second to see something that's going to make you angry, and then boom, 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 i got to share it and make other people angry. I don't think that's the answer. I think we have to stand for righteousness. We, we, we don't want to be uh, just complacent with the way things are. But the way to win the culture war is not by warring like the culture, but it's like what the, the Word says, to consider Jesus, count him as more worthy. In John 1.17 it says, The law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. We are people of grace and truth. And yet again, I see so many Christians taking that Facebook post and saying, oh, send it off, and then it turns out it's not even factually supported anyway and things like that. And, and uh, there are these fringe church groups that are calling themselves Christians and they're speaking negatively about people and bashing people over the head with law. And maybe they do that because they're still under law. And maybe you feel like you're still under law. Jesus has set us free. He came full of grace and truth. And it's, it's that that wins us over. It's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. And the way to win the culture war is to be a full-blood disciple of Jesus Christ, to be growing in him, to be counting him more worthy, and to be receiving of his love and experiencing that rest that we're going to be talking about, to being secure in him in spite of all these other things. And when you're secure in him, that's going to draw people to into a question and saying, what is it about you? Why, aren't, why are you different? Uh, I don't share my testimony at this moment, but p- part of my testimony was I had an old girlfriend and she was a backslidden Christian, but she came back to Christ somewhere in the midst of our relationship and I sat and talked with her and I just berated her and abused her verbally and said, how can you be so foolish and crazy to believe this gospel stuff? And she was just like, she didn't have an answer. I'd give her these challenging questions. What about this, this, this? And she didn't have an answer, but she just glowed. And she just smiled. She just looked at me like, you poor lost soul, (laughs) which I was. But there was something there. She wasn't beating me up with the Bible. She wasn't telling me, you know, everything I'm doing is wrong. But that grace and truth that had affected her, you know, and she wasn't perfect. She wasn't an angel, but she understood that Jesus is about faith grace and truth and it's, it's your failures and we all have them they disappear when you are faithful when you return it says a righteous one will fall seven times and get back up in the proverbs you know you can fall and stay down getting up is a sign that you're still faithful you still believe there's hope you still believe God is good you still believe God loves you and he'll take you even though you've given him every reason not to that's full of grace and truth and there she was a backslidden now back to Christ and she was full of grace and truth with me and she didn't win me to the Lord that very moment but she sure set me on a on a journey I was like what in the world I just couldn't figure that out and it haunted me and haunted me so that's how we win I think we become examples and we become vessels of grace and truth in the world, we are partakers of the heavenly calling, and we want people to see us as heavenly. How do we do that? Again, it's not by our personalities and our works and everything, but it's by where we put our hearts, and then God changes the rest of it. God does the work through us. That's the good news of the gospel. All right, verses three, uh, five to six. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant. For a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterwards. See, Moses was the warm-up act. He he wasn't the end, which people got stuck on. He was the warm-up act, speaking of things to come. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope, firm to the end. Now, we looked in the past chapters that, you know, it wasn't the angels. To which of the angels did he say? You know, angels were just ministers. It was to the Son. Today you are my Son, and I, and, uh, I have begotten you. Here, again, is a, a kind of a repeat of this idea. Moses was just a servant. Christ is the Son. The Son is the one who gets everything, not the servant. And you and I, by faith, become sons and daughters. We receive We have it all coming to us. There is something coming to us. There is an inheritance. There is a glory. There is a hope and a future. And we need to hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. And this is the the key point here is that you do not just get saved and boom, it's done. There is a journey. When you get saved, it's the beginning. You are on a journey, and you have to hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing. The good news is is that it's a rejoicing thing. I told you about those people who are bowing before idols and, and you know, other religions. There's no rejoicing in that kind of thing. There's nerviness. There's anxiety. There's am I I, I fitting the bill, filling the bill, and things like that. But we have something to rejoice about. We hold fast the confidence, not in ourselves, the confidence in the Son. It's the Son that was sent on our behalf. Confidence. Ah, man, I just blew it again. I blew it again. How can God love me? It's because of Jesus. My confidence is him. And we have to hold that confidence in the rejoicing of hope firm to the end. Why do you have to hold it firm? And here again, uh, it's being diligent, being earnest. You've got to make sure you don't lose your hope. And what's happening right now is a lot of people are losing their hope because there's a lot of reasons out there to steal our hope from us. We're not seeing things the way we'd like to see things. We're going to see that this was the problem with the Israelites, and they didn't hold their hope in the midst of it. We need to hold our hope in the midst of things that don't seem right because we're just passing through. This isn't the final ground. We are on a trajectory towards a glorious end. We need to hold the hope firm to the end. When we were in China, and uh, we were there for a few years at a time, and we'd get our tickets. We knew we were coming back to America to see family and friends. And we had our tickets. And that gave me some strength. I knew, oh, I'm getting out of this place. And, you know, there's things about living in a different culture that can rub you the wrong way. What, you know, I'm not saying anything negative about the culture. But it's just being different It makes it more difficult. And there was lots of things that made it difficult for us in China And then I'd get rubbed the wrong way by something I encountered in the culture, and then I'd think, oh, I'm going home in a couple weeks. This is okay. I can do it. You know, it helped me. It gave me a a grace to get through that kind of thing. And I've been in other places, other countries and other situations, and you could say, uh, well, did you enjoy it? I said, yeah, I enjoyed it because I knew I was going to (laughs) leave. You know, if I was staying there, it was another situation. But because I knew I was going to be leaving, I had... A great experience here. And I was able to put up with the uh, annoyances and the difficulties and things like that. And I think sometimes we get too caught up and I'm here and I want everything now and I want it to be my way now. We got to remember that we are going somewhere and that this world is not our home. Um, The gospel is about the now and not yet. And I think uh, it can be possible to be unbalanced on both sides. You can be so far into the not yet that you don't have any victory in the now. Or you can be in the now and think, I got to have all the victory. And then when you don't have it, you say, well, it's hopeless. No, you've got to have a balance. You got to know that there's victory now, but our greatest is not yet. And this is how we can be rejoicing. I know there's something coming and I'm going to hold that hope firm. I got to hold the rope of hope firm because the rope of hope is slippery by soap. <laughs> I'm a poet and you didn't even think so. No, but, the, but the rope is slippery. It's slippery in the flesh, in the natural, and that's why we have to hold it firm. And that's what church is all about, to help each other. And I believe we're going into that some more in this chapter. Um, the next verse is verse 7 to 11. Now, we've just talked about how Moses was faithful in his house and how Jesus was faithful. So the theme here is they were faithful and Jesus was the greater one. Now it's going to talk about our role. Will we be faithful? So here comes the warning. Uh, Let's read verses 7 through 11. And uh, before we read verses 7 through 11, I'll give you a fun fact. You want a fun fact? Um, Okay, well, verses 7 through 11 in Hebrews comes from Psalm 95, which happens to be Psalm 95, verses 7 through 11. Isn't that interesting? And, you know, like I said, the verses in the original Bible were not there, the numberings and things like that. It just came together, but I just find it kind of interesting how the Holy Spirit oversees things, and sometimes there's there's something there. I don't know. It's just a fun fact. It might not have any significance. Um, But it's Psalm 95, 7 to 11, and the author here is using the Old Testament again, their own scriptures, to bring about a point. So let's read this. It says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works 40 years, Therefore I was angry with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. All right, the beginning says, there, Therefore, when you see a therefore, what was it therefore? Well, we, we just considered the faithfulness of Moses and Jesus. So therefore, considering their faithfulness, what are you going to be? Are you going to be faithful? Therefore, so here comes an encouragement or maybe a warning that you don't want to harden your heart. But it says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says. And I just want to take a quick ride here with that phrase, the Holy Spirit says. Because I told you he was quoting from the Psalm 95, which I, I believe was written by David. But he's saying not David says, he says the Holy Spirit says. So this reminds us that Scripture is not... Just a book written by men. The book, all scripture is God breathed, it says in 2 Timothy 3:16. All all scripture, well, what does Peter say in in, um, 2 Peter 1:21? Did I give that verse? No, No prophecy ever came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So this is showing us the inspiration of Scriptures. This book is not an ordinary book. This book differs from any other book ever written because it is full of things that make it unique. I was talking to someone recently. They are saying, oh, it was just a book written by men. No, it was a book written by men moved by the Holy Spirit, and there's proof of that when you consider the prophecies that have been fulfilled. You consider that there were more than 40 or around 40 different authors, and it was written through a time span of 1,500 years all in a harmony of bringing together a message of redemption, written by people from different backgrounds, languages, different times, and things like that, that in order to have that kind of unity and have everything come together, and we haven't mentioned the archaeological discoveries and the miracles and all the confirmations through the prophecies fulfilled, all this stuff makes the Bible an inspired book. It is a God-put-together book. God used men, moved by the Holy Spirit. And that's why we can trust it. I have a preacher friend that starts every sermon. He says, Everybody lift up your Bibles. And then he says, I repeat after me, I believe, I believe this is the Word of God. I believe this is the Word of God. I believe what God says because it's impossible for God to lie. And I used to think that was kind of corny. You know, he does that before every sermon. But then I started thinking about it. That's really a very powerful creed. I believe what God says because it's impossible for God to lie. And that's something that can give you rejoicing and g- help you to hold on because God says it. And don't worry, I'm not going to say that before every sermon. <laughs> but it's something to think about. All right, so that was uh, uh, today if you, as the Holy Spirit says, okay, but says do not harden your hearts. And here is an issue that we've talked about Already, when we were talking in the series on the heart, but we have control over our hearts. Some people don't think that, and they let their hearts carry them away. And some people get into these emotional states, and they let themselves get carried away. But this says do not harden your hearts. God wouldn't tell you to have some control over your heart if you didn't have some control over your heart. And maybe that's the first step in having a better uh, emotional balance when you can realize, hey, wait a second, I don't have to let my heart carry me away. I don't have to follow it whatever direction it goes. You know, I told you there was a song, Follow Your Heart. We should rename it Govern Your Heart. We can govern our hearts. Uh, Jesus confirmed this when he told the disciples in John 14, 1, to let not your hearts be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in me. When did he tell them to let not their hearts be troubled? It was it was right before he was going to go to the cross, and they were going to see all their hopes and dreams dashed. And he told them beforehand, let not your hearts be troubled. You know, believe, believe. So how are you keeping your heart? How are you keeping your heart? And it says, do not harden your hearts. Um, A guarded heart will not be a hardened heart we need to guard our hearts when we, we we're tempted to get carried away or we're feeding ourselves the wrong spiritual food, the media that we're subjecting to, or the information, or maybe it's the relationships, toxic relationships, anybody, uh, you know, we need to guard our hearts and you guard it with faith and keeping the word and not letting it take you on routes that are, are doom and gloom and things. So, Myself, I'm just going to talk to myself. i got to stop scrolling through Twitter so much because that will start leading my heart into anxiety, anger, fear, you name it. we got to guard our hearts to keep our hearts from hardening. Well, it sounds like a lot of work. Well, it's remember, it is some work, but it's confidence in what Jesus has purchased for us. And it's rejoicing work because you're not just doing it to appease or to or to get something, or i got to do better, but it's like, I've got something, I don't want anyone to take it from me. I've got the treasure, and I'm not going to let anything take me off my path. Amen or owe me. But the Israelites didn't see it that way. It says, don't harden your hearts as they did in the rebellion. What was the rebellion? They took up arms, they became guerrillas, and they went after God and had a rebellion? No. You know that. But what was the rebellion referring to? It was talking about their time in the wilderness. And we are in a wilderness. The The Lord delivered them out of Egypt. That was a signal or a symbol, a figure, of our being delivered from death, from sin, from the, the curse of sin, the slavery of sin. We've been delivered through the work of Jesus. It wasn't they that delivered themselves. It was... Moses Moses was a type of Jesus, the deliverer. But they got into a wilderness, and the Lord promised that he was going to take them somewhere into a promised land. So there was the inheritance that they were going to receive. It was a land flowing with milk and honey. It was going to have everything they needed, and yet there were enemies. So we're not talking about the final stage. We're not talking about heaven. We're talking about the place of rest in the Lord and ultimately... We're talking about what Jesus purchased for us in the new covenant, that we don't have to fear our position with God. We can rest in him. We can can be free from our works. We don't have to grit our teeth and try to do hard and better. We just find rest from our works and then from fear. We don't fear that God's angry with us. We don't fear that the world's going to overcome us because we are God's and God is ours. That is the place of rest. That is the new covenant rest. That's the promised land. And then ultimately, that's the now for us who believe. And then when Jesus returns, the not yet, when all the battles are done. But, you know, the Israelites had to fight some enemies while they were in the promised land. But the rebellion was they were their own enemies. They were complaining. It was only a month and a half after they got out of Egypt that they started complaining about a lack of bread in the wilderness, and so God sent them manna. That was was the first of their provocation, the old King James word, for rebellion. And then they demanded uh, water at Meribah, where Moses had to strike the rock with water. And then at Sinai, they built a golden calf. They said, where's Moses? He's he's left us. Where's God? We're going to build a golden calf and worship that. And then after that, uh, they got sick of the manna. They got sick of bread, and so they were asking for meat. And so God sent them all these quails, and it didn't go good. And then finally, uh, he told them to go take the, the, the giants out at Canaan. And they said, we can't do it. When God had said, you can, and I'll be with you. And, and they, they said, no. And so that was enough. God said, these people have gone astray in their hearts and I can't do, they're not gonna enter in. Only Joshua and Caleb were able to enter in because they didn't go astray in their hearts. But as I was thinking on these things, the rebellion, I, was, I learned something here because I could relate to them for the most part. The calf probably can't relate so much. But when you're thirsty for water, sounds pretty reasonable, you need something to drink. They needed bread, they were, they were asking for bread Sounds pretty reasonable to me. You need that to survive, right? And then they kept getting the same thing over, and then they said, give us some meat. And I was thinking, you know, this is, and even going into that battle, it's like, are you sure you want me to do this? They look pretty fierce out there. It's hard sometimes to go in faithfulness contrary to what we feel, what we think we need at the time, and what we see. And I think that it's reasonable when you're hungry, you need food. It's reasonable when you're thirsty, you need something to drink. But that wasn't so much the issue as it was they were demanding in a contentious spirit. They were, they were in a contentious place in their hearts, grumbling and complaining in their hearts. It says that Moses looked to him who was invisible and endured. But the Israelites, they were looking back to Egypt. They were saying, if only we had stayed in Egypt and we had all the onions and leeks and garlic and everything like that. Um, and they, so Moses was looking to him who was invisible, looking to that rest that him who was invisible could provide. And that was pretty amazing, too, because Moses came out of a place of luxury in Egypt. Um, this would be a wonder until we actually get all things revealed. But he was able to look to him who was invisible, the luxuries he could do without him. But the Israelites, they were under bondage and slavery, and they said, we want to go back. They wanted the rest that came with the slavery. And I think sometimes we are like that because it's familiar. We're more comfortable with the familiar even though we're in some bondage. And this is what the Lord was saying. You can't harden your heart. You need to be looking not at what you're lacking right now but what I have done and what's coming. So, the difference is there's a heart that can contend with the Lord, say, I don't have what I need at the moment. Unbelief. It robs you of your rest and your peace. Or you could say, Lord, I don't have what I need at the moment. It's still the truth, but you're not contending. You're saying, but I know that you're faithful, and I know that you're going to work some good out of this, and I know that ultimately you're going to provide for me. And that's some rest. That's a place where you can have rest. Um. A.B. Simpson said that some people uh, are like Lot. Lot was with Abraham, and when they had to split up, Lot was looking at the land, and he said, I want that land, it all looks good. And Abraham said, I don't care what land you take, we just got to split up, so go, you can have it. See, Abraham, again, he wasn't looking with the natural. Lot was looking at the natural, he saw a good land, but you know, the troubles uh, ended up with Lot. I mean, they were attacked, they had wars, and then the the episode with the angels coming down, the fires raining down upon Sodom and Gomorrah, and things like that. And so what A.B. Simpson said was that faith is yielding up the world for a better inheritance. Faith is yielding up the world for a better inheritance. That's where we can rejoice if we hold that firm to the end. And he's saying, like Lot, people with an earthly spirit often contend for the best of this land. So, what's, what? what where is your heart? Can you set your heart on the inheritance, on what's ahead? Or are you fully focused on what's now? And that robs you of your peace and your strength and your rest. So, they shall not enter my rest. And again, I mentioned that the promised land is not heaven. The rest is in the new covenant. And the confidence is in what Jesus has done. And we're going to see that there were failures in Israel and their failures were final. They will not enter my rest. But because of Jesus, your failures are not, are not uh, final. Your failures are not final. And your failures are easily remedied by faithfulness. Moses followed through. Jesus followed through. The Israelites did not follow through. But if you follow through, that is what we're learning in this chapter. Faithfulness is following through, not having a contentious spirit, why Lord this, why Lord that, but following through. And that cancels out all your failures, all your past unbeliefs. We all have unbelief, and unbelief is the biggest problem. We're going to see it's not just sin, it's unbelief. It's the state of your heart. But even if you've had a rotten state of heart, it's not final, and it can be remedied just like that by turning back to the Lord, saying, okay, I'm back again. A righteous one can fall seven times, but he gets back up. Well, you don't know me, I've fallen more than seven times. It's not a literal seven. Seven was a number of perfection and completeness and all it means. if you're still around, you've still got some seven left in you. All right, Hebrews 3:12 to 13 says, beware, brethren. And that note, beware. Again, we keep seeing this idea coming up. Give attention. Take earnest heed. Beware. It's like use your mind and be alert. Everything about this. We, you know, consider Jesus. All of this is a part of the faith walk. It's not a passive thing. We are on a journey, and we have to be on guard. Look out and beware. Lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. So, what's it saying here? How did they depart from the living God? An evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Oh, let me finish it up. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. So do not let your heart be hardened. How does your heart get hardened? Through the deceitfulness of sin. But beware lest you have an evil heart of unbelief and depart from the living God. And there's a powerful uh, idea in that. And I read a commentary by Andrew Womack saying it wasn't sin per se that kept them out of the land. It was unbelief. And that's what gives you an evil heart. Your sins do not give you an evil heart. It's your unbelief. Now, sins flow out of unbelief. But all this is to say that God wants your heart. God wants a relationship with you. God doesn't want us to sin because sin is deceitful. It is destructive. I think God is, is big. He can handle our sins. He's going to be God whether we sin or not. His concern is for you and me. His concern is out of love for us. He doesn't want to see us take the poison. He doesn't want to see us get the clobbering. I love the, uh, you know, some of you will think this is trite, but I think it's a great example, these old cartoons. Some of you like the old Tom and Jerry cartoons? Who's Tom and Jerry? Well, you got to go back and check out Tom and Jerry. But uh, there were things in those cartoons that showed something, the deceitfulness of sin. One of the characters would bake a pie and put a fan out of the freshly baked pie out of the oven so that it would blow the aroma to the other Uh, dupe (laughs) and the dupe would start sniffing that aroma and the aroma was pulling him and luring him to this this final destination where the pie was where the other character was waiting for him with some big heavy hammer or mallet or something and so it shows this character just floating along the the fumes of the aroma and it's it's just the, the way sin works it deceives you and it It allures you, and it takes you, and you're, you're in pleasure while it's doing it, but then at the end it takes you to a place, and wham! And you see the stars spinning around your head. And that's the deceitfulness of sin. God wants better for us, and, you know, we want better right now without considering our inheritance and what's coming. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek what's coming, and things now will be taken care of. But don't get taken by the deceitfulness of sin. Say, I'm missing out on this, and the rest of the world's doing this. Remember, we're counterculture. And our counterculture isn't the war culture war thing. It's the I found a better way thing, and I want the better way. That takes us to verse 14 and 15. We'll go quickly through this because it's a repetition. Again, if it repeats, it means it must be an important idea. That's how things work in Scripture. They will repeat things when they want to to get it in. So, for we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. So, again, this is a warning. And these these Hebrew Christians, they they needed some soothing. They needed some coddling. They're there. It's okay. Instead, this guy's giving them a warning. Paul or whoever wrote Hebrews is warning them, saying, stay on track. Stay on target. It's not warning as in a legalistic, you know, submit and, and do what you're told. It's just warning saying, hey, don't be taken off the course. Don't be distracted. Remember, it's deceitfulness. And you've been let in on something better. You've been let in on truth. And things are not going well right now, but you're going to get through them. And I believe God would say that to us today. We're going to get through these things if we can stay on track and hold fast uh, the confidence and the hope that we have. So this is what he wants us to avoid. The final verses here in 16 to 19, he wants us to avoid the failure that ultimately is shown here. For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt, led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry forty years? Was it not those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? We see they could not enter in because of unbelief. And all that is to say, avoid what they did. They were delivered. It says they got out, and a lot of the church has been delivered, but now we're stuck in this place, and we're tempted to go back, or we're not. maybe we're not tempted to go back, but we're not enjoying what we could go into. And this is where we want to be on our guard. We want to be alert. And some of you think, oh, well, I've failed, I've messed up. God has taken care of your failure. In the old covenant under Moses, when they rebelled, And their hearts went astray. He said it was their heart went astray. That was it. He swore in his anger they would not enter his rest. God doesn't want your heart to go astray. And some of you might say, but my heart has gone astray. And I guess it's over for me. No, because you live in a better dispensation. And you live under the son. Not the servant Moses. The son, Jesus, who gave his life for you. And your faithfulness in him will trump your failures you're getting up and moving forward just as he was faithful to go all the way to the cross and die for you will erase anything that happened in the past don't believe me, take his word for it we're going to end with what he said to the disciples in uh, Mark chapter 16 verse 14, this is after he rose from the dead, completed his work on the cross it says later he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. Jesus came and said, hey, guys, you're you're wrong. He rebuked them. But look at what he said next. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. In the old covenant, God said, they went astray in their hearts, and I swore in my wrath they would not enter my rest. In the new covenant, Jesus said, you have awful, hardened hearts, but I'm commissioning you. You've got a mission. You've got a purpose now because I've done something for your heart and I'm here for you even though you you had this hardened heart. Go preach the gospel. What is, what is the gospel? The gospel is that it's not by our works. It's not by what we've done. It's by what he did. And that will change our hearts. We don't have to measure up. He measured up for us. And if you failed... Just be faithful again. He's given you a commission. He's given you a mission. He's given you a purpose. All of us in this church and in the church in general, we have a reason to be here. It's not so we can collect all the toys in the world and die with the most goods. But we're here because we've already got it all. And God loves mankind and humanity and wants us to be his vessels to go and preach to them that, hey, your failures can be erased too. Your heart can be led into a place of belief and God loves you and is for you and not against you. But what about this? What about that? This unbelief comes in. Don't let your heart be hardened. There are questions. There is unbelief. But the goal of us as a church is to gather together, exhort one another daily, as it said, to keep us in a place of faith because unbelief will knock at our doors. Unbelief will haunt and threaten us. And we have to guard our hearts, not let our hearts be hardened. We have to say, yeah, there's things I don't understand. And yeah, there's things I see that are wrong. But I have something in the end. And I'm looking to that because Jesus has done it. How do you build your heart up? How do you build your faith? You remember what he did and you look forward to what it purchased. And you receive now in between. But you keep it in balance. And that way you can handle when things don't quite go right because, hey, I'm going home in a few weeks. Now, hopefully it's a lot longer than a few (laughs) weeks. But you know what I mean? In in God's economy, it's just a moment that we're here anyway. And we need to consider that. And that's another way we can say, hey, that's why I'm not going to buy into the deceitfulness of that. Not for a moment when I have an eternity of love, grace, and glory and delighting in the awesomeness of who God is and what he'll have for me to do at that moment. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for what Jesus did for us on the cross. He died for us to erase all our sins, shame, guilt, failures, and that blood continues to be presented before you in the heavenly realms, that we continue to have closeness to you and love from you and grace and forgiveness. And I pray, Lord, that our hearts would be softened and that you'd help us to remain in a softened place that our faith would grow and that we'd overcome when unbelief knocks at the door. I pray for each person here, Lord, that you would help them in this as they move forward, holding on firm to the hope and rejoicing to, to the end. In Jesus' name, amen.